Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talked to Stéphane Dubois, the co-founder and CEO of Pointer Pro, a software platform for professional services firms to create online assessments and automatically give personalized advice. In 2012, Stefan was feeling stuck. After working for 15 years in consulting, he wanted to start his own company, but he didn't have a great business idea. While still in his nine-to-five job, Stefan made an iPad quiz app for his daughter's birthday party. It was just for fun, but it turned out to be a big hit. And this gave Stefan an idea. What if he made this quiz app better and put it online for free? So he spent his weekends improving the app and then released it, not expecting much. But then something unexpected happened. The app quickly gained popularity. Teachers were using it in classes, and even folks at AT AT&T were using it for HR events. Stefan saw a potential business and started interviewing his users to find out what they liked and didn't like about the app. Once he was confident about the app's business potential, Stefan quit his job. He worked hard for three months to add a way to accept payments and was thrilled when some free users converted into paying customers. But despite some early success, business growth was slow. Stefan struggled for seven years to find product market fit. Eventually, in 2019, he had a significant breakthrough. He realized many customers wanted personalized reports. So he doubled down on that one thing and changed the app's focus to help professional services firms. Today, Pointer Pro has surpassed $3 million in annual recurring revenue and grown to a team of 28 people. The company is still entirely bootstrapped. In this episode, you'll learn why it took Stefan seven years to find his killer use case and how you can avoid making some of the same mistakes, how Stefan attracted important early customers outside of his network to validate his business idea. We also talk about how Stefan established credibility and social proof despite being an unknown startup and founder, the importance of customer feedback in Stefan's journey to find product market fit and the lessons from that experience, and why Stefan believes that perseverance above all else led to his success and helped him push through the difficult years. So I hope you enjoy it. Okay, Stefan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Omar. Do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you that you can share with us? Yeah, I have something from um, Yoko Willink. Um, it's an ex-Navy uh, SEAL who has... Um, written some books and uh, give some uh, also uh, give some business advice and that's um you know what you have to do you just have to make yourself do it that's the quote so that refers to that i think in business and, and in in SaaS, um certainly that um strategy is often not the most difficult part the most difficult part is execution like really Often times we know what to do, um, but the execution is a difficult part. Yeah, totally. Okay, so tell us about Pointer Pro. What does the product do? Who's it for? And what's the main problem you're helping to solve? Um, Pointer Pro is an assessment platform for um, professional service providers. Um, and we help um, those companies um, with uh, digitizing their advice flow. So, um, we have assessments with um, personalized advice reports. And you have to think, for example, um, about uh, a cybersecurity maturity assessment 
or you could ask questions in the assessments like uh, do you have already antivirus on your pc yes or no um things like that and if you answer no on that question um, then probably you will be maturity level one um, the lowest maturity level and and so on i mean you get the point and then afterwards you can get a report or the respondents can get a report where um, it says like for example congratulations you have maturity level three and um, but here is what you have to do um, to go to the next maturity level here is some personalized advice and that can be that report can be text but also like graphs uh, and can be branded in, in the um, logo and uh, colors of the customer um, so in that way we are really um, automating uh, the advice delivery uh, for um, the consultant or for the professional service uh, provider and um, it's advice delivery it's especially transactional advice what we call transactional advice is something that has to be repeated um, oftentimes um, with many customers or prospects. Uh, we will not um, quickly replace the like the strategic consulting from uh, from McKinsey, for example, with our tool. Um, but trans transactional advice and cybersecurity is actually good uh, a good uh, example of that. Like the basics from cybersecurity can perfectly um, automate that uh, with our tool. Um, with the advantage, of course, that um, yeah, consultants can um, work on more strategic uh, tasks, more on implementation, um, on discussing the results of the assessment um, with the customer and, and how to, um, to implement it and thereby um, generating um, more business. So I think cybersecurity is a great one. Can you give us uh, one or two other examples of how it's being used? When you say assessments, you typically think about HR, of course, and that's also a use um, case for us. Um, it's not the only one, but it is certainly one like psychologically um, or psychological assessments um, where people are um, put in a certain category. And then, um, for example, different teams um, or different persons of the management team um, take the assessment and then if you're in category one and, and the other one or your colleague is in category two, then it also explains how to how you can deal with that uh, type of, um, of colleague, what you have to do. That's again, the personalized advice. These things can also be put in our tool. Um, we have also um, like financial assessments. Um, we have, for example, um, a, a US client of ours has the website freefinancialplan.com. Um, and there you can, it's an ex-private banker, in fact, and he has like democratized um, financial advice because for private banking, you have to have a lot of money. Um, but for his um, service, which is online, um, you, can, um, you can also access it when you have uh, limited uh, uh, assets, so to say. Um, and it asks like, yeah, how much you earn and how much assets you have and, and a bunch of other questions and then gives a personal advice uh, report um, with, with personal financial advice. That's also a possibility. It's important that the contents of the tool of the, of the assessment is not made by us. Um, we, we make uh, the software to do it and the content, like um, which questions to ask in a financial advice or, or which advice to give in a cybersecurity report. This content is um, coming from our customers 100%. Right, so you're, you're basically giving them uh, an easier way to take their expertise and help more clients or customers at scale while also freeing up their time to be able to do more strategic, higher value work. Exactly. Yeah. By digitizing 
their um, expertise like in the in the assessments uh, then they have uh, instead of having the expertise in their heads they can put it in a digital asset and then sell that asset uh, just uh, instead of selling their expertise in the time and material way for example which is more interesting of course you can give more possibilities that's great okay can you give us a sense of the size of the business where are you in terms of revenue number of customers size of team so we are um, 29 um, people now um, we're based in Antwerp, Belgium. Um, most of the people are also there, not all of them. And then um, in terms of business, we are we, we just uh, passed the 3 million uh, euro um, annual recurring revenue uh, milestone. So that's a nice thing, of course. That puts you at probably just, in terms of dollars, it's probably just a little bit higher, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It must be three, three, two, three, three, something like that. And we have also some services. So the actual revenue is, is a bit higher um, because we have also one-time um, services that we do for our clients. Again, not not for um, consulting them on, on which what to put in the assessment or so, but more technical things like design um, or connecting the results to their system, making a dashboard or so. Uh, and this. I think important to be able to combine the service and the software to to, to have a like one-stop shop um, for um, for our customers. And you raised uh, around a million dollars, uh, basically debt financing a couple of last year, I think. Yeah, last year. But beyond that, for the first ten years, this has been a totally bootstrapped business. Yeah, totally bootstrapped. Uh, yeah, in the beginning it was like, I mean, not really our choice um, because we were growing too um, slowly um, to um, to raise venture capital. And then as from, because in the beginning we were doing um, like surveys and then in 2019 we made a switch um, to assessments, which is not completely different, but it is, um, yeah, in more interesting niche, smaller market, but more interesting and also higher ticket value. Um, and as from then, the growth um, begin uh, to to kick off. But by then, we already were used to yeah, the bootstrap life, to um, to be um, really careful before spending um, the money. Um, and, and also with higher ticket size, we had annual contracts which were prepaid. So that's easier. Um, yeah, that, that makes uh, financing easier. Also the services. Um, so we never really um, considered uh, venture capital. And then at the end of 2022, so last year, we um, have launched a new product and therefore we um, needed um, the um, the debt financing. And in fact, it's, uh, by then our MRR was already um, high enough to um, yeah, to convince the banks that we uh, could pay off uh, the debt. Um, so we went for like traditional uh, debt financing um, and then um, we um, were able to, um, yeah, to, to develop that product faster, basically. I love the story of how you came up with the idea for this business. It was in a very unexpected way. Can you share that with our audience in terms of where this idea came from? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah in the beginning, um, I um, was thinking to do something else because I've been in consulting for 15 years. Um, I was thinking to do something with CRM, uh, customer relationship management, but then I, I needed some, yeah, some hobby projects to um, 
catch up with technology because I mean in, in those all those years technology had evolved uh, quite significantly so I made um, a tablet quiz uh, quiz on the iPad for my daughter's birthday um, and um, we used uh, like a technology uh, called Sensha Touch for that that's a um, yeah a framework that makes it easier to to make those things um, and um, it ran pretty well um, then as a result of that um, I also created a website called Tablet Quiz where people could create their own quizzes for iPad, um, but without technical knowledge, they just could um, do it um, um, yeah, by just configuring the questions and, and the answers and so on. Um, and that's, um, I made it available online just for free. And that kicked off, well, or yeah, we had some interesting um, use of, of that, uh, some, yeah, of course, some personal um, use from people who want to do a, do a quiz about their dog or cat or so. That's not that interesting. But we had also like, remember then, um, for example, AT&T, um, the US telecom uh, company, um, making use of it um, at um, HR uh, events. Um, then also, um, yeah, some others, um, also some a lot of teachers, uh, which was maybe less interesting, but yeah, good good um, traction basically. Well, not not enormous, but yeah, enough to get to collect some feedback and, and to to see what um, uh, the potential was, and then we decided to um, yeah to launch the actual product, uh, which was then yeah we added and the surveys also we did both surveys and quizzes at that time. So I love that. So the idea started basically with your daughter's birthday. And when you created this tool, you published this and made this available for free, were you thinking of this as a potential business opportunity at that time? Or was this more like, you know, a hobby, just something fun, put it out there and just see what happens? Yeah, first it it was like just the hobby thing. Um, but then, yeah, it was not like from one day to the other, but like slowly it evolved um, when I saw like the reactions coming in um, or coming in, then um, I realized that um, yeah there was more potential than just um, yeah quizzes um, for fun, and and I realized also that fun is is of course um, you you would think that it's um, not sellable because it's just for personal use and, and for like birthday parties and things like that. But fun means also en engagement. Um, so when you uh, apply it to a company um, context and engagement, like employee engagement. Um, and you, when you do quizzes at HR events, um, that's important. So people are ready to pay for that if they uh, have a, like a nice activity on the HR event. Uh, same in uh, market research. Market research was really like boring quizzes or boring surveys at, at that moment um, when you can gamify that. Um, and add more engagement, you will also um, collect uh, more and better data. Um, so there is uh, certainly, uh, or there was certainly a use case um, and some, I mean, some potential there. So when you realized that there was this opportunity, uh, you and your co-founder, it's Mark, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you guys go out and say, okay, we should go and, and validate this more, we should interview people, we should figure this out? Or did you look at the kind of organic usage that was happening and like, wait a minute, we've got people at AT&T coming along and using this product. Maybe that's enough validation for us to start building something. How, how did you get to a point where you felt confident enough to invest some serious time and money into this? Yeah, it's more the second. Like we um, 
Uh, we interviewed the, um, the people that used our tool, um, asked them why they uh, used it, uh, what they, uh, how they found us, um, what they thought was, was good um, about our tool or, or not so good. Um, so that's the way that we um, that we approached it. We had also like a lot of traction because it was also for free. We had we had more um, yeah more users than, than initially expected. So yes, that's that's the way we, um, we 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 moved forward. But then when we um, of course um, when we made a, like a paying product, then I used also my personal network um, to. Um, to get the first customers, uh, not only the the people that came in uh, via the online channels. So, how much development did you have to do on the product once you you two decided that this was going to be a product that you were going to sell? Was it as simple as, hey, we can take what we already have and and let's put you know kind of Stripe integration there and see what happens, or did you have to say no, no, this was kind of a fun thing, but we need to go back and 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 you know redevelop the the product before we go out there yeah we we added some some like features that we like from the feedback interviews that we uh, thought that were needed um also the payments of course because it had to be um like paid um the, the payment integration um but was not really that much time because we i quit my job in in july beginning of july 2012 and then I think end of September 2012, we launched the paid version. It was pretty quick, um, so we didn't uh, have to do like uh, so so much development. We only two then, but then afterwards, of course, when it was launched, then we still, I mean, we we still developed it. Um, we uh, it never stopped, of course. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious. You you said you got a lot of traction with the free product, which kind of makes sense if you're if you're offering something, it solves a a problem or meets a need, and it's free. There's going to be lots of people lined up to to use it. Once you added some of the additional features and you started charging for the product, I'm curious. In terms of, let's say, your first ten customers, how many of them were people you converted from the free plans versus people you got through your your personal network? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, in number of customers, um, it could be um, about fifty fifty, I think. But in value, the ones that come from the network were more valuable. So in revenue. Um, so we had only um, in the beginning, uh, in the very beginning, we had only uh, yeah, five to ten customers per, per month um, from from the uh, online channels, um, and maybe about the same or a bit less um, from from the personal network. But um, I mean, at that time, there, these were also small amounts. We were talking about twenty nine dollars per month, and we had a plan of forty nine dollars per month, and the, the highest plan was ninety nine dollars per month. So even for the personal network, it was not really um, scalable because I mean the um, the cost of acquisition to go there and to convince them was too high for the um, for that kind of uh, of of of, uh, of price. Um, but in the beginning, you you have to do it because otherwise you I mean you you need your first customers uh, and and in in the beginning you don't have to worry too much about. Uh, scalability you just uh, need customers and then you can develop them you can ask them feedback and some will churn um, but then it's important that you yeah learn why they churn and then uh, adapt your product or your uh, approach based on that um, and then and then you 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 move on and that's that's uh, the, the way to do it so the business is founded in 2012 
uh, I believe you hit the first million in ARR in 2019. So we're talking about seven years to get there. Since then, growth has accelerated, you know, more and, and uh, you're, you're hitting each incremental million in ARR much faster. But I'm curious when you look back at those first seven years, what would you, if anything, have done differently to try and hit that first million faster? Yeah, in the beginning, we were like doing, yeah, the surveys or software for surveys. And like I said, the um, our value proposition was um, to um, to focus on the respondent experience, um, so to make it more um, fun and, and use gamification, interactivity, conversational elements to make it more uh, interesting for the respondent and thereby also collecting better and, and more data. Yeah, so in the beginning that worked pretty well, but then where there were others like Typeform and, and other tools that uh, did the same basically. And it was a pretty crowded market. So we, we knew and we also knew the theory that you have to start with the niche and then expanding from that. So we knew that we had to find something else on something yeah, more um, like smaller, but, but easy with less competition and, and easier to, um, yeah, to position ourselves as, as a unique offering. And we tried some things like we tried things like with around training and gamification. We tried things about uh, um, like uh, being on trade shows and scanning QR codes with a small survey behind it that is then sent to the CRM system and, and so on, like different use cases. But none of these really yeah, worked very well. Um, some of them worked not at all, some a little bit. But we spent each time quite a lot of time in, in, in developing that. And sometimes we had to develop separate features for that. And you have to test it. You have to find yeah, use cases and to collect feedback. So that's certainly a struggle. Um, and that's why it took so long um, to find yeah, the uh, killer use case then. Um, but if we do it again, I would probably try to do that faster. Try to decide faster whether some use case or some part that you have chosen is the right one or not. And then also not be afraid to, to, to stop it and to um, to pursue another path if it's not the right one. Um, so not trying to do everything uh, for everyone. It's easier said than done, but okay. But then if we, uh, uh, in 2019, if we developed the assessments there also, it was not like a genius master plan or so, it was just listening to customers. We uh, The PDF reports um, that are now like part of the functionality, we first developed it for customers um, a couple of times. And then if like new customers ask, like, can you develop a PDF report for me? And, and then again, another customer is asking the same. Then you should um, uh, come to the conclusion that you have to buy uh, to, to build a product um, uh, for that, which we did in, in 2019. When you focused on assessments, was that also the point where you stopped the other or, or took away the other features like the surveys yeah we didn't really stop it because we still had a lot of customers yeah the first million of course but still a million in in arr which we needed to uh to pay the salaries and some other details we didn't stop those features because they were like working and and okay it requires some maintenance um we did stop some of the features that were like may, maybe less frequently used um, but most of them we, we kept. 
Um, and then we had to maintain those two type of customers uh, in parallel. Um, as I said, it's not completely different eh, because um, in, in the assessment, you have also the questionnaire editor. In the survey, you have also the questionnaire editor. Like the fact that you have can have a multiple choice question with different choices, uh, also possibilities. It's the same in an assessment as in a, in a survey. So uh, it's only the reporting, um, the customized report that was added uh, with the assessment and some other functionalities like scoring and so some, some more complex things. But yeah, some of the survey functionalities were also needed for, for the assessment. So we, we didn't really stop them. And, and so does that functionality still exist today? Like are there people who are still just using surveys and not using assessments in the product? Yeah, it's the minor- minority. Um, because, um, yeah, for new customers, um, most of the new customers, it's about assessments because also in our marketing and, and, and yeah, paid acquisition. And so we don't focus anymore on the surveys, but still, yeah, some, sometimes, um, they, they use it for both or sometimes there's also like, um, yeah, what's in the name. Sometimes you have like a survey, which is a little bit mixed with an assessment, like a survey with some feedback report, but limited or so. I mean, um, there's some, um, so, some mixed uh, use cases, but most of them use it for assessments now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's interesting that you, I mean, initially it sounds like you had a product that did a lot of things. You were a potential solution for a wide variety of potential markets and and customers. And it's not like you weren't generating revenue in those first seven years. You were, you were getting customers, you were, you were getting recurring revenue. It just wasn't happening as, as perhaps fast as, as you would have liked. And even this, this thing about finding the use case that you were going to focus on, and the type of customer, which today I think is professional services, both of those came from just listening to customers. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's what I would advise to other uh, SaaS uh, founders also. Um, it's it's not nothing magical or so, but um, yeah, you have to listen systematically to customers. Also, ways to um, to ask questions in the in the right way, like uh, asking like what their situation is, what their problem is, instead of uh, really um, explaining your solution right off the bat. So, so yes, um, and, and also the professional services for us, um, because we have also some other use, some other types of customers like AstraZeneca, pharmaceutical company who is doing uh, automation of medical advice with our tool. Um, so those are like different use cases, but you have to choose one. And we, we discussed like quite a little, also after doing uh, a lot of uh, customer interviews, so how to position ourselves. Um, so we are now, we position ourselves not anymore as survey software, but assessment software for professional services, but also assessment software where that like enable those professional services people to create their own assessments, yeah? To create their own assessments to automate their advice process. Um, and that's a unique positioning that no one else uh, has really. Um, like the other tools are more um, assessments for HR and for recruiting, and, and often um, they are also mixed with uh, with content. So that means that you buy the software, but that you buy also the, the content of the assessments, like psychological assessments or something else. But our customers don't want that because they have their own content and they want to put their own content in our tool. Yeah, the fact that when I look at your your website today, 
it's clear that you're focused on professional services, people who have a certain type of expertise. And if you had still had surveys as part of your marketing message, I think there was always a danger that people would start comparing you with very, you'd be back in the compared with type form and jot form and, and all of these. Whereas now I think you are clearly differentiated and there's a clear reason why, you know, yeah, you can do surveys, but that's not the main reason why somebody would pick, pick you, but there is a specific use case and a specific customer that, that you're targeting. So I think that makes, that makes a, a lot of sense. Tell me about in terms of getting to that first million in ARR, so we talked about like 2019, aside from your personal network, listening to customers, I think SEO and, and content marketing were uh, also a, a big driver uh, of your growth then. And, you know, when you and I were chatting earlier, you said, hey, you know, outbound didn't really work for us. Maybe maybe we weren't doing it the right way. You know, who knows? I think that's always interesting because the the, the conventional advice for anybody who's in the early stages of, of building a SaaS business would probably be the other way around, which would be, sure, do SEO and content marketing, but don't expect that to do much for you in the short term. Instead, do outbound. That's going to get you customers faster. Um, but it sounds like your experience was very different. So tell us about what, what, what happened with you guys. Yeah, we started, as you said, like with a personal network, but then uh, quickly um, afterwards, um, we, um, we started to do content marketing and, and SEO. Um, we used also the, the references um, from the customers that you acquired yeah, through the personal network to put like the logos on our sites. And so like, for example, we had... Uh, like a big KBC, a big Belgian bank here as um, as customers, which of course helps. And where well, yeah, the SEO was successful, I think, because yeah, back in the day it was easier um, than now. Um, I think, like with a lot of things, maybe that's one reason. But the other reason is also that uh, like tabletquiz.com, like the previous website, like the hobby project, was already around for more than one year, like the free site, and had a lot of traffic. Not only for SEO, from SEO, but also from um, articles on other websites um, that I reached out to, and, and I said, okay, I have a free tool to um, to create quizzes, and they linked uh, to um, to my um, to my site. So it gave like SEO value and also um, uh, referral traffic in, in certain cases. That helped, of course, to to jumpstart like like the SEO, the SEO and the content marketing. And then beside that, we um, we had a pretty good SEO consultant um, back then who advised us to um, create landing pages for different use cases um, based on keywords um, and do also link building. Um, and um, the link building is something that we um, also um, did um, like a bit more yeah profoundly, I think, than um, what is typically done so we even created a special facebook group um, which is called b2b bloggers boost group to collaborate between yeah, content marketers or bloggers and to exchange links but in a meaningful way not just uh, like spamming or like uh, things that um, do not uh, make sense um, but always um, in the benefit of the of the audience um, for example if i um, have an article about 10 marketing tactics uh, or 10 unconventional marketing tactics to to bring new traffic to your site for example 
Um, one of these could be related to your tool. And then next time that you write an article, yeah, I could um, add a meaningful paragraph to your article and which links then to one of my content resources. But of course, only if you think as the author um, that it makes sense um, for your for your audience. Um, and in that way, um, we were the the founder of that group. In that way, yeah, we got also, of course, a lot of uh, link opportunities inbound. And, and uh, we also, um, yeah, on our side, um, uh, gave some... Um, some links to other uh, companies in, in return, but again, like only if it if it makes sense um, in the context of the of the article. And then the same with guest blogs, of course, um, because at, at that time our domain authority was not yet that high, so um, so giving a link on a guest blog was worth more than giving a link on um, on our site. Tell me a little bit about outbound. What what did you try, and what kind of you know what was what what do you feel the, the biggest the challenge there was in terms of not being able to get that to work we tried different things like a couple of years ago we did um like a campaign that um really had um yeah some short form content a little bit personalized and just um, trying to explain the benefit of our tool like in one of two sentences and then like the question of whether they want uh, to, um, to to book a meeting. And we actually had quite some meetings um, from that, but not a lot of customers. And there, I think the, the targeting was not 100% um, okay. And then we redid it last year or, yeah, um, or beginning of this year. And then now we, um, we didn't have uh, a lot of response, even, uh, even no meetings or like a few meetings, uh, uh, not really enough to um to make it um yeah profitable or like a, with a positive return um, and yeah i don't know really the reason um what what i can see only is in the last compared to five years ago like in my inbox it's really um getting <laughs> crazy all these emails so I, I guess it's becoming more difficult also to stand out um you have to be very personalized and relevant I would first now go now that we have a decent client base already. Um, I would first now go to um, to the land and expand to um, to go for. I mean, we have beautiful clients like Deloitte, Manpower, AstraZeneca, um, to um, where we have relatively small ticket size to try to expand in these uh, clients before doing outbound uh, really to uh, unknown uh, clients. I, I know you had a number of other challenges. So you, in addition to outbound, you tried partnerships and and trade shows and and you know those didn't work that great either or as well as seo and content marketing was one of the other struggles that you had told me about was building credibility with potential customers now you're going up market you're not talking to somebody who's creating something for their birthday party you're talking to somebody at deloitte how easy or hard was it to get them on board and willing to trust using the, your product? I mean, you're an unknown. You don't have a brand. So how, how, how easy or hard was it? And, and you know, what were some of the things you were doing to build more credibility? Yeah, in the beginning, it was hard because I come from companies uh, like, for example, PwC, 
uh, IBM, uh, which are obviously um, big brands, very known, very well known. Um, but um, yeah, then all of a sudden you're just you. I mean, without the brand or, or with your personal brand, but that was nothing compared to to those big brands. Um, so um, yeah, pretty difficult. Um, certainly, if you have um, to acquire really new customers that don't know you. Um, and the um, solution for that is, I think, to go first with your own network um, and then try to, um, from your own network, it's not magical solution in the sense that everybody from your own network will automatically turn into a customer. But at least you will have normally an, a first meeting and they will do a first meeting, maybe not with, with them or with a colleague at, at their company that um, could be interested in your product. Um, if you have the first meeting, that's always a good thing because either they will um, become a customer or they will um, yeah, just say no, but then they will also explain why um, they said no and that can also be valuable. Um, but eventually you will have some customers and, and those could be like bigger brands, brands like the, the, the Belgian bank that I talked about. Um, and you can use that um, yeah, as credible references um, to uh, acquire uh, new customers outside your network then. I think you have to go as quickly as possible uh, outside your network. Uh, the, the first really uh, moment of celebration, of course, when you have a new company is, is when you have the first customer. Um, but the second moment is uh, even more important, I think, is when you have the first customer uh, that came outside um, your network, from outside your network. So then, for example, like customer from Australia who came on the website, just um, did the trial, was happy with the product, and then signed up for the paying plan without any interaction, without any um, yeah, intervention, without him knowing us um, or knowing uh, us uh, personally. So that's another, uh, that's really the. Um, the even nicer moment of celebration because if you if if, if it's one uh, customers that can be acquired like that I mean why couldn't it be ten hundred thousand uh, yeah so that's uh, very nice to see yeah so you you use your personal network as the way to kind of get initial momentum some traction and obviously going through your network people they may not be your ideal customers they may not be interested in buying your product but they're more likely it's going to be easier to get in the door and they're more likely to to listen and and hear you know what you have to offer when you started to get your first one or two bigger customers how were you using that that customer as a way to build credibility with other customers? I mean, you know, were you putting the logo on the website? Were you trying to figure out, you know, creating uh, a case study or getting a testimonial or putting something into sales uh, collateral if you were going out and, and presenting to bigger customers? Like, what, what were some of the ways that that you try to leverage what you know that one or two customers that you had to to build some credibility and and you know how well did they work? Yeah, we first made sure that they were happy uh, with the tool, um, so that um, of course um, they they could be a um, candidate for a reference, um, and then we um, yeah we typically asked for the 
for the maximum or for the <laughs> the um, and the maximum I think is a is a case study on your website where they uh, get interviewed even on videos sometimes um, and um, and you can use that in different ways like via quotes or or you can send a case study to prospects uh, and you can talk about it in sales calls and so on and so on. But if they don't um, want to spend the time or, or they, they are not allowed to do that um, from, from their company, sometimes in larger companies it's difficult, then we ask something yeah, smaller like quotes um, or just uh, like logos on the website in the beginning. Now we are more careful, but in the beginning we just did it. And it was also in our terms and conditions, I think, that we could do it um, unless we, we had... Um, negative advice um, from from them. So we didn't ask it, we just do it. Also surveys that are public on the public website. If the service is on the public domain, yeah, then everybody can see the survey. So why not, why could, should we not um, say that it's made with our tool and that customer um, is is a customer of ours. Um, So you have to take a, a little bit calculated risk there. Um, we had once that uh, customers said, like, uh, the logo is on your website, I've seen it, um, but you have no uh, um, authorization to do that, and then you just remove it, uh, and um, that's okay. Um, but I would all, always ask for the maximum and then, and then use it um, in, in, different, uh, in different ways. I, I think that's an interesting uh, strategy as well, that if you ask somebody for a testimonial, they may not give it, but... I don't know if you if you go for the bigger ask first, and then they say no, and then you come back and ask for a testimonial. It seems like a relatively small ask then, right, compared to what you were just asking for. And I don't know if it becomes easier for for people to say yes. Like, was that the reason why you went for like the bigger ask first? Yeah, because then you can always ask for a little bit less, and and they will um, they will be more willing to approve that than that you have at least that. If you ask the smaller thing um, first and then they say no, then um, you can uh, end up with nothing, basically. Um, also, yeah, you have also to see what is in it for them. And oftentimes, um, yeah, they can use the case study to shine in their own company also, maybe with some modifications, because then maybe there can be, can leave out some, some things that are specifically for, for, our, for, for our company, about our company. Um, but oftentimes, I mean, there are also internal publications where they can uh, um, publish uh, interesting cases and, and so on. Um, so that could, could also be different. So the, the right to reuse all these things internally um, should certainly be included. So just to recap, we talked about the, the sort of the idea and the journey to get to the first million. Uh, that took about seven years. Then the next million, getting to the two million ARR was probably a couple of years after that. 3 million came a couple of years after that. Uh, so things like, you know, it's, you know, you and I were talking, we say, you know, Hey, it's not quite a hockey stick, but the, it, the, it's getting shorter and shorter in terms of how, how quickly you're hitting each of these milestones. Do you feel like the growth channels that you have today are, are sufficient to get you to say, you know, 5 million ARR? Uh, what are some of the, the challenges that you're now starting to, to face as you, you look at some of these bigger milestones? Yeah, the challenge now, the main challenge now is that the existing acquisition channels are kind of, um, I would not say exhausted, but um, the growth potential is, is more limited. I mean, we're talking about organic search and also like paid uh, search, uh, like Google Ads. 
Um, but there are only so many monthly search uh, queries um, for keywords that are interesting for us. That's just an external factor which you cannot uh, influence. Um, we still can optimize. Uh, it's, it's not that uh, there's no potential at all. Um, but to, to have real growth um, in the coming years, we have to look for new channels. Um, and then yeah, I, I look at two things. Uh, the first thing I already mentioned, um, that's more in sales, that's land and expand. So existing customers, we have a lot of interesting customers like Deloitte, like Manpower. Um, we have to um, expand um, our, um, our footprint there. Uh, other divisions, other geographical areas, um, I mean, that's easier than just going for new customers, of course. And then also um, the second thing is um, you have more from a marketing point of view that we go for um, top of funnel marketing, which means that you also have to reach the people um, who are not really having a, like a need uh, for your tool yet. Um, so making sure that people who don't need you know you. Um, and, and that's or, or they know you before you need they need you the, the ones that are um, in our target audience of course and yeah you can do that by like thought leadership maybe an overused word but I mean <laughs> I think it's um, still important and something that we have to do um, thought leadership not about our product um, because of course we know everything of our, about our product um, but more about the overarching content area I would say which is like um, linked uh, to our product. So in, in our case, it's the digitization of professional services, um, which can be, yeah, I mean, one, our product is just one piece of the puzzle um, in, 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 in that area. Um, but we can talk about other things, of course, also. Um, and when, yeah, I mean, the system is always the same and people, yeah, see that you have interesting content, um, they uh, get to know you. Um, you build trust and then at the moment that they will need a product like yours, I mean, they will come to you and, and you will be first on the list. Uh, like I said, it's something that is not new. Other companies have done it successfully, but it still takes a lot of effort and energy uh, to do it. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like you're, you know, you're continuing to work your, the channels that are working for you today and, you know, keep acquiring new customers. In addition to that, you, this land and expand uh, strategy is really about. I mean, you you got some, you know, big customers that are potentially, you know, huge opportunities, right? In terms of contract value, lifetime value, that kind of thing. If you can figure out what it is exactly that they need and are willing to pay for it at at, at scale, so I think that's also an interesting thing. And then the top of the funnel uh, approach is more like, well, that's not going to pay off you know, tomorrow or next week. But when we think of the business strategically and we, we are in this business for the long term, then at some point in the future, that is going to pay off as well because you're going to be reaching a lot of potential customers earlier on in the, in the buyer buying journey, right? When they don't even know that they potentially want to buy a product like yours. Okay, uh, we, should, uh, we should wrap up, uh, get into the lightning round. So I've got seven quick fire questions for you. Just try to answer them as quickly as you can. What's one of the best pieces of business advice you've received? It's to start your personal brand as, as early as possible. Um, also when you maybe still um, are in a job at, at uh, like a, as an employee 
Um, but when you have an aspiration or a dream to be an entrepreneur one day, so start building your personal brands and, and do it by using your skills to help people outside your regular network. Um, so like in communities or um, maybe also, I mean, online communities, but also physical communities, depending on, on, on your specialization area. Uh, try to help strangers. I mean, people you don't know, and then you will build a personal brand. And I think that's that's awesome advice. It's like you already have a skill set. There's this, you know, you you have skills that can help people, and and often that's how you, many founders stumble up, up, you know, across a product idea, right? By just going out there and 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 helping people. All right, uh, what book would you recommend to our audience, and why? I think it's Epic Content Marketing from Joe Paluzzi. Um, so the um, quite well-known uh, author and also the um, uh, is also the founder of content marketing world, I think. Um, so um, yeah, because I think um, content marketing will be the only marketing. I don't know um, from who that quote is, um, but I'm kind of supporting it. Um, so that's also linked to the aspiration of, of being like the thought leader in, in digitization of professional services that is our um, content marketing uh, like um, uh, focus area and I've learned from him uh, and from that book um, that your content marketing should be like uh, something more like wider than just your, your product basically um, and, and I think that technique like I said like it's done by a lot of other companies like HubSpot for example um, it, it, it still works and it can also be uh, done by smaller companies like us, certainly. Well, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? I think uh, it's perseverance. Um, never give up um, because, um, yeah, like in, in the seven years that we um, experimented and, and tried different things um, before finding product market fit, if I would not have had that... Um, um, perseverance then um, probably the company would not exist anymore today what's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit it's maybe not that spectacular but it's like listening to podcasts which i do also like um since a long time since yeah before po podcasts became very popular um but the advantage of course that you can i mean you can listen it uh, while commuting while doing workouts I think you always learn in in a um, yeah in a fun way. I think uh, because like I like the interview style. I like also your podcast. Uh, I I, I um, listen to um to 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 many episodes. Um, so um I mean the most interesting for me is simply listen to um stories of of people who are um where I want to be in two years. I mean, that, that's of course um, interesting because they um, they have done what I um, should do now. So that's uh, the most interesting for me. Well, what's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the time? Maybe not a concrete idea, but it would have to do with scaling human relationships um, with technology or with AI. Like matching people and trying to find opportunities um, between strangers, uh, people who don't know each other, um, using data and AI and, and um, try to bring those people together. And, and then, yeah, if, if that can be done yeah, in a sophisticated way, then 
when bringing these people together, there will always be an, a positive outcome, I think. And maybe it's maybe not that concrete, but I think uh, you got the point. Like technology will never replace the human relationship, but technology can be used to yeah to 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 have better relationships with with more people. I think. Yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Um, I used to like, and I still like uh, to um, to study geographical maps like uh like, i mean back in the day because i'm already pretty old i mean um these are paper uh, maps um and yeah instead of like someone else would read a book before going to um like going to sleep um i looked at maps um from uh, everywhere um like even map road maps and so and now i i also still do that i have a book with old maps um from like the middle ages and so i like looking at it um and and yeah that's uh... that's cool it's a very unique unique thing <laughs> um and finally what's one of your most important passions outside of your work yeah i think it's sports also my family of course but then also sports and then especially cycling and, and kite surfing so especially cycling now um more recently um, mountain, both mountain biking and road, road, road bike. Uh, so I'm really uh, passionate about that. Great. Well, Stefan, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure chatting. Uh, if people want to find out more about Pointer Pro, they can go to pointerpro.com. And if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, you can just um, go to LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is the social network I'm most active on. Um, you can uh, connect uh, to um, with me on, on LinkedIn and you can also write me a message. Uh, we'll be happy to uh, exchange experiences with, uh, with listeners here. Great. We'll include a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Thank you again for, for making the time. Um, I know you've got a busy job. You're, you're a dad. I think you have three kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I appreciate you staying up late to, to talk with me and, and uh, record this for our audience. And, um, you know, I wish you and the team the best of success. Thank you. And uh, also congrats with your um, podcast. Really like it. And um, also, yeah, wish you a lot of success with it. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Cheers.